A secret society exists and is living among all of us. They are neither people nor animals, but something in between. D. Wallace, The Howling, 1981. Okay. Oh my gosh. Hello. Welcome. Welcome back, spooky friends and weirdos. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And we are Happy Hour Gets Weird. And this is our first episode in our new block of episodes. So in honor of spooky season, we are focusing the next few episodes on real life horrors based on iconic horror movie tropes. Nailed it. That's exactly what we're doing. I'm so excited for spooky season. Fuck yes. I have to say that I was in a bad mood all night because all I wanted to do was watch a horror movie while I slept, but my husband worked all night and I was too scared because I am a chicken. Uh, If you think you're a chicken, I'm an even bigger chicken. Um, I can barely watch a horror movie in broad daylight. And a bus full of people. <laughs> um, so, so this week we have decided to talk about two horror tropes, vampires and werewolves. Ow! I was hoping you were going to do that. Sound effects. And then also, the other part of this podcast that we love is the cocktails that we make. And like last episode block we decided to stick with one alcohol and it is gin so get ready if you make any of these drinks to live with the decisions that you will regret after you drink gin because tiffany and i both do things not normally within our personality realm (laughs) when we drink gin (laughs) is gin the spookiest of all it is perhaps (laughs) it is almost like a potion (laughs) So what is the cocktail for this episode? It is a, no, you better sit down for this because it's going to knock your socks off and you probably could get hurt. Joke's on you. I'm not wearing socks. (laughs) It is a vanilla pear gin fizz. Delicioso. Oh my goodness. When I say that this tastes like fall's asshole in a good way, Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. eat fall's ass every night. If it tasted like this. Yes. Sign me up. Yes. Oh my gosh. I've made a simple syrup and it is, I think I'm, I might put it in my coffee tomorrow. Oh, that's a good idea. Actually. And it was, it wasn't, you know, when they say simple syrup, when you make something like this, sometimes it's not so simple. This is a little more complicated than most of our simple syrups we've made. Mm-hmm. Uh, vanilla bean, which is uh, pretty expensive, by the way, <laughs> had to sell my firstborn yeah (laughs) to safe way to get that some pears i threw a little cinnamon stick in there and just one tiny little whole clove oh i love that just for a little bit of spice and uh you know the usual sugar i used uh white granulated sugar and a little bit of brown sugar this simple syrup sounds fucking amazing i think you should put it in your coffee i think i'm going to it is so fucking good Mm. and you're welcome, world. I'm going to share the recipe with you. It'll be on our Instagram, per usual, along with a drink picture. And I cannot wait to share this. You are going to, if you don't drink, 
alcohol, that's fine. You're going to want to make this simple syrup. You can put it in your coffee. You can put it over oatmeal. You could pour it on your partner's body. You could pour it on your own body. You could drink it straight from the pan after it cools, Mm -hmm. of course, because that would be 15 degree burns. But yeah, really living on the edge here. Worth it? Probably. Probably. (laughs) Check us out on Instagram. We have a lot of fun stuff on there. We have some changes Mm -hmm. coming up on there pretty soon. We're also on Twitter. Um, Terrible at it. Not smart enough for Twitter. But if you need to reach out to us through Twitter, feel free to send us a message on there. But there's not a lot of action on Twitter. Let's just be (laughs) honest from us. It's about once every six years. Yeah. We've only been doing this for three. So that's really bad. (laughs) All right. So without further ado, let's get started. I'll go first. Uh, oh my god, I'm so excited. Okay, so my sources for this episode are Wikipedia, Smithsonian Magazine, and a research paper from the Journal of Psychotherapy and Psychosomatic. Okay. <laughs> One of my favorite reads. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So it sounds like it might be a boring journal. It's very, very juicy. All right, so I just want to start off by saying slight trigger warning, actually full trigger warning. This episode is going to talk about pretty some pretty horrific things. So if you're not into that, like if it's going to be too ick for you, you might want to just skip this episode um, or go back and listen to one of our more lighter things. But I just want to be a trigger warning. There's going to be talk of violence, blood, and other spooky stuff. Thank you for the trigger warning. I appreciate that. You are so welcome. Just some people are into it. Some people are not. Just want to make sure that the ones who aren't are fully prepared for what they're about to witness. With their ears. (laughs) What they're about to hear. (laughs) Anyways, okay. So if you've been listening for a while or if you're new here, I do not like scary movies. I'm not a fan of scary movies, but I do like vampire movies. And werewolf movies, so I'm really excited about this episode. But the vampires are, I can't, they're just so sexy. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I like Queen of the Damned is a good one. Fright Night, the old one and the new one with Colin Farrell is really good. No, Colin Firth, Colin Farrell. Um, interview with a Vampire, I mean, come on. Oh, Hachimama. Yeah, even Twilight. I like. I mean, it has werewolves it's a lot and of sex vampires. appeal. Yeah, totally. So, good point because pop culture in Hollywood have totally kind of fetishized vampires. You know, they're like sexy and mysterious creatures of the night. And I'm like, I'm super into it. I would join a vampire coven in a heartbeat. I'm looking into it actually. <laughs> oh. Speaking of, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of consensual vampire covens all over the United States and the world. And uh, But today we're not going to talk about the cool vampires. We're not going to talk about the consensual vampire practices. We're going to talk about when iconic horror movie characters or tropes exist in the real world, like we said in the beginning. And that brings us to clinical vampirism. Or Renfield Syndrome. It's an affliction presenting itself as a compulsion to consume blood and or 
flesh of oneself or others. Okay, so a fact that I find interesting, so I'm going to share it. It relates to Bram Stoker and his novel, Dracula. If you've ever read Dracula, there's a point in the novel when a group of vampire hunters take shelter in an insane asylum while on the hunt for Dracula. Van Helsing is among these vampire hunters. There's a patient in this asylum by the name of Renfield, and he eats bugs in order to consume their life force, therefore, in his mind, making him more powerful. At first, he starts off eating small bugs, you know, a fly, a moth, a death's head moth specifically is mentioned in the novel. Mm -hmm. Then he starts trying to compound the energy by first feeding a fly to a spider and then a spider to a bird and then a bird to a cat and then consuming the largest animal he can get his hands on, which which would be the cat. And then he just compounded all that life force and he became super powerful. Well, as time progresses in the novel, so does Renfield's macabre affliction. He gets his hand on a weapon and attacks his doctor. While in this scuffle, he slashes the doctor's arm and he watches as the blood drips from the doctor's arm onto the floor and Renfield slowly crouches down and licks the blood from the floor. Ugh. I just finished that Netflix show. No spoilers. So I have good visuals of this. Um, Okay, so fast forward to 1992. So 100 years later. Dracula Mm -hmm. was written in the late 1800s. Incredible. Incredible that these books were written. Like Frankenstein is so old. It's fucking incredible. Seriously, it's crazy. I love it. So clinical psychologist Dr. Richard Knoll jokingly wrote in his book, Reinfeld Syndrome, when referring to the specific affliction it was just a joke because Renfield, Renfield, excuse me, was a character mm-hmm. in Dracula who like, you know, and yeah. so he just jokingly wrote it and it like stuck. So that's, I thought that was like a little quirky fact about the name of this. Put that in your trivia pocket. There you go. You know what's going to happen. If you tell somebody that. If you share this fact at a party. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. You better have some birth control. Get ready. Some safe sex plans because you're getting fucked. fucked. <laughs> that really is good trivia, though. I, that could come up on Jeopardy. Yeah. One thousand percent. Watch for it this fucking month. Cut us a piece of that pie if you win. Um, all right. So although Renfield syndrome isn't actually recognized in the DSM, which is a manual that psychiatrists and psychologists use to diagnose patients, Mm-hmm. It's not an official diagnosis. Okay. Over 50,000 cases of people drinking blood have been mentioned in psych- psychiatric literature since 1892. So Renfield syndrome is a thing. It's just there's not an official diagnosis for it, but it usually is a byproduct of another mental illness such as schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder, DID, which is formerly multiple personalities disorder. Mm-hmm. Case in point would be Richard Chase, the vampire of Sacramento. He was diagnosed schizophrenic and he 
did not take care of his mental illness. He did not care for his mental health. And he is a really terrible example of what can happen if you do not take responsibility for your mental health or the people in your life help you take responsibility for your mental health. He was schizophrenic, diagnosed hypochondriac, and he believed that his heart was shrinking. He was losing blood. His cranial bones were separating and someone at one point had stole his aortic artery. And because of all of these beliefs, he began to consume human blood and flesh and flesh of animals and animal blood to replenish his blood and heal his body. Stop his heart from shrinking. He is a worst worst case, case scenario. Yes. Scenario. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So psychiatrists believe someone develops Renfield syndrome by experiencing an extremely traumatic, violent, and specifically bloody event at a young age that would cause a person to then have a fascination with blood. It also could be classified under a paraphilia disorder, which is, you know, like sexual um, disorders. Um, For example, finding the sight of blood erotic which we know some serial killers and some uh, killers have had that. Um, usually in most cases, it starts with auto-vampirism, which is the person drinks their own blood and then it progresses to drinking the blood of others. So like if you think about it, Dexter could have been one writer's brainstorming session away from being a vampire. Yeah. I hate blood. Tiffany does hate blood. <laughs> I love horror movies and I hate blood. She does. <laughs> I just tell myself it's just corn syrup. It's fine when I'm watching a movie. But in real life, if you're bleeding, don't come to me for help because I will not help you. I don't mind the sight of blood. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. I'm pretty neutral about it. Do I want to drink somebody's blood? No. Do I want to dress in all black and a big old winged cat eye and some fangs absolutely 100% do I wish I could live forever and be beautiful have no wrinkles yes sexy yes <laughs> okay so I'm going to talk about a true crime case as well as a psychological case study of a real life vampire this was a write-up from psycho- a psychology journal in 2011 the journal of psychotherapy and psychosomatic now I'm hoping I'm saying this name right Dr. Dirnek Sakaraya, this was in Turkey, by the way, wrote about one of his patients who remains unnamed. And I am going to read directly from the journal because I think you will get a better idea of Renfield syndrome. A 23, quote, a 23-year-old married male, third of six siblings, presented with a two-year history of addiction to drinking blood. He used to cut his arms, chest, and abdomen with a razor to collect the blood in a cup and drink it. The initial interest in drinking his own blood has subsequently turned to that of others. These crises were characterized by a strong urge to drink blood immediately, as urgent as breathing. He enjoyed the smell and the taste of blood despite finding it foolish. He also enjoyed biting wounds of others to taste their flesh. 
He was arrested several times after attacking people by stabbing and biting them with the intention of collecting and drinking their blood. He, at one point, forced his father to obtain blood from blood banks. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. No. It's, can you imagine drinking a blood bag from a blood bank that you have no idea where it came from? No. Well, it has to be clean, though, at least. Yeah, but that's the best case scenario. Better than tackling a fucking stranger. Okay, stab somebody once to drink their blood. Shame on you. Stab somebody twice to drink their blood. Shame on Turkey. Why was he not somewhere? I I don't know. I'm just like, what the fuck? Oh, God. So uh, he, he was then at that point put under care after he was arrested several times. Um, and they discovered, while in psychiatric care, his thirst for blood started after the illness and death of his four-month-old daughter three years earlier. He Aww. also associated this condition with the, number, with the murder of his uncle four years earlier, which he witnessed and still recalled lucidly. He remembered hugging the dead body and feeling blood smeared on his face. He also witnessed another violent murder three years earlier when one of his friends cut off the victim's head and penis. Wait, he witnessed one of his friends cut off his other friend's head and penis? Yes, according to his psychologist's notes. How and why? It, he did not go into detail. What the fuck? And how, and he, this is a lot. I'm telling you, clinical vampirism is fucked up. That's what I'm saying. Like on one side of it, Hollywood glamorizes it. On the other side, the real life clinical vampire, vampirism and Renfield syndrome, it's like pretty fucked up. Uh, It's an actual real life horror. Like, (laughs) Mm, yeah this is horrible it it, like puts horror movies into perspective do i still think hollywood vampires are sexy 100 percent. but do i think that people go through such traumatic experiences in their life that they start to crave human blood do i think that is incredibly terrible yes like this is crazy this is a gruesome gruesome story (laughs) yes and this was the most tame out of all of the the renfield syndrome stories that i could find listener she when i said werewolves vampires let's do this she said dibs on vampires so i did and i didn't realize to her own self how awful it was um okay so While under care, schizophrenia was ruled out and any other personality disorder was ruled out and they came to the complicated diagnosis of dissociative identity disorder, PTSD, major depressive disorder, Renfield syndrome, and uh, alcohol abuse. And this, this case was actually the first time ever documented that DID and Renfield syndrome presented itself in the same patient. Oh, wow. So he would have bouts of amnesia. Uh-huh. And he would, uh, witnesses would see him speaking to himself and he would 
end up at places and he didn't remember how he got there. So switching basically between mm-hmm. the the personalities and mm-hmm. or personas. And um, I'm wondering if one of his personas was a vampire. I'm wondering if one of his personas killed his uncle and his friend. Oh, my God. I know. Can you imagine witnessing two different close up in your face? That's why it's so. I don't know. Uh, I mean, gosh, it's a big coincidence. Like you go through life thinking you're invincible and actually you're so fragile. I know. It's like that was my brain just exploding to even think about the two existing in my reality anyways um while we have more you know severely tragic cases like richard chase and uh peter Curtin, who was known as the vampire of dusseldorf which is a fucking another fucked up true crime case um he was in a serial killer in germany um, it seems like this case has somewhat of a happy ending after two years of treatment, along with medication. The doctor has said that the patient has since resisted the urge to drink blood. That That's great. I mean, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was that your happy ending to your story? <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I was, it was, I'm happy that he is getting help. I'm happy that this patient got help eventually. Yes. Mental health is so important. Mm -hmm. And really that person just really needed help. Mm -hmm. The brain is such a fragile thing. It's, it just does things for self-preservation. You know, I know. And I just, I, I was just, uh, watching a new documentary on Netflix and I, it's the murders inside me. I think it's about a, mm-hmm. like a pretty public DID case. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that interesting. I was trying to watch. I keep falling asleep. I fall asleep on the true crimes when they have nice accents and then I feel mm-hmm. shitty about it. Yeah. <laughs> and this, this is more about like unchecked mental illness and like not unhealed trauma there is a like a subsection of people who do practice consensual vampirism and this is not who we're talking about Mm-mm. i think i like a friend of a friend actually is a member of a vampire coven in mm-hmm. a town somewhat close to me and i think it's fucking cool like they're friendly and they just that's their thing and they're into it and they don't do any harm. It's all consensual. And I think it's cool. More power to you. You know my stance. You do you, boo, as long as you're not hurting anybody and everybody is a grown up. Do you know the Muffin what? Man? No, no, I know. <laughs> I can't say that without saying that. Um, they are having a ball this year around <gasps> Halloween, a vampire ball. Can anybody go or vampires only? I think we can go. We can purchase tickets. I've already looked it up. I kind of want to go. I kind of want to go too. Yeah, I kind of want to go. I feel like it would be super cool. So I just wanted to put that out there. So if from now on we suddenly shift <laughs> and we seem very vampire, 
You'll know why. Yes. Because we joined a new club. <laughs> yes. So that is just a little bit of Renfield syndrome covering the one of the best horror tropes, in my opinion. The sexiest. I was so obsessed with Interview with the Vampire that I'm pretty sure I saw it like, I don't know, I was really young. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure when that came out, but I was really young. 1991. I'm going to look it up. Because that was a guess. 1994. So I probably saw it like one year after it came out. <laughs> Just fine. Just fine. Um, the part where she wants to grow up and she can't. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that movie is – I actually haven't watched it in a really long time. I, you know what? I'm going to revisit it. I wonder if it holds season. up. I'm going to see if it holds up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if it holds up. But I was obsessed. And yes, I drank cranberry juice out of a wine glass as a child and pretended that it was blood. But that's as close <laughs> as I would get. Okay. First of all, I think we've all done that. I could speak for us all. We've all done that. I have done that. Yeah. I'm probably going to do that tonight. It's fine. Actually, I don't have any red wine. But I have a bounty of my own blood. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. Or am I? Anyways, okay, so that's vampires and how they could potentially present themselves as real-life horrors. So let's get into werewolves. I feel like werewolves are the less sexy, Mm -hmm. but they're like kind of the punk rock. For sure. Everybody loves a good werewolf movie. Everybody loves pissed-off werewolf a sexy werewolf. I have to ask you, what is your preference on werewolf? Is it an actual anatomically correct wolf, but larger? Or is it kind of the morphed bones breaking extension, two foot, like humanoid werewolf? I like the humanoid werewolf. I always prefer the humanoid werewolf. I didn't like the fact that they were actual wolves, just larger in Twilight. That's Twilight is not a horror movie, though, so yeah, it doesn't even count. But since Twilight has both of our tropes in it, it, I guess it's fine that we mention it here. Yeah, but not the best werewolf movie. No. I think, I mentioned this before, but I think that Netflix is going to be remaking The Howling, which is where our quote came from at the beginning of the show, which that would be really fun. Okay. I'm going to get into my story, slightly different approach okay. than Cassie did, but <laughs> mine's old timey, so it's a, it's a palate cleanser, I suppose. Okay. Kind of, minus the all the murders. Um, my sources are historycollection.com, medium.com, Wikipedia, and I think that's it. Okay. Manuel Blanco Romasanta was born on November 8th, 1809, in Orense province, Spain. After a difficult birth, as I'm sure all births in 1809 were, Manuel was born with birth abnormalities. These abnormalities were not really explained in any of the texts that I read, but they were always included, and that's really the only reason why I am mentioning them here. At birth, Manuel appeared to be female, 
and for the first six years of his life, Manuel was dressed and educated as a girl. In those early days, he was known as Manuela. At the age of six, doctors realized that Manuela was physically a boy, so at that point, Manuela became Manuel, and his entire life changed. Hmm, okay, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of theories about um, why doctors realized at the age of six that Manuel was physically a boy. Mm -hmm. I went down kind of a Reddit rabbit hole, but I don't know. Those are kind of theories, so I I don't want to put them out there here, but feel free to look it up on Reddit because there's a big discussion about this guy on there. So... When he turned six and everybody realized that he was a boy, like I said, Manuel's life changed. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, his family was pretty well off for the time, which meant that he received a good education. For example, he could read and write at a very young age. At that time, that was even somewhat rare for uh, like lower socioeconomic adults. Mm-hmm. Also, the fact that Manuel was now a boy allowed him this better education. Right. Despite growing up in a household that was economically pretty well off, um, unfortunately, his family kind of ignored him, it was said. What? Oh, my God. He was also teased by the other kids he grew up with. Both of these things were probably because Manuel was described as very odd-looking. Okay. Picture that I saw of him was a sketch, and he didn't look strange to me. I mean, he wasn't a hunk, but he just looked like a guy. I don't, I'm not really sure. I do know that he was very, very small in stature. Um, and I think that more than his physical appearance, I think that it was his behavior that put people off. Oh, I was gonna ask, was it his big bushy tail and his wolf ears? I think it's one of those things where people act like it's because he looks a certain way, but really, he, if he had a better personality, oh, okay. he would have just been another person. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Okay. Like, I don't really think that he looked that bad. I just think that he was such a fucking creepy, weird, gross person <laughs> and weird, God. not like us, but just a terrible human oh that people it like seeped out of him. Okay, this is... This is making me feel all sorts of feelings because okay. at first I felt sympathetic because of what he went Don't. through as a, as a as a small child being, you know, misassigned a gender and then having to switch it after several years. But was he terrible? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Tell me how he was terrible. Okay. So, anyways, he was teased by kids at school. Mm-hmm. Um, he was they he was described as very odd looking. He was also quite small. Mm-hmm. He stopped growing in his early teens, which, as we know, boys usually grow into like their early twenties. So he was right. a small statured man, somewhere between four foot six and four foot eleven. And I think that was another thing that kids tease him about. Well, kids, kids are, are mean and cruel and they're yeah. really the worst. Kids are on, I'm going on record saying that like, you know, the kids are mean. Kids are the worst. Um, but like I said, I don't think people would have commented on this stuff if he wasn't such a terrible person. <laughs> 
So Manuel grew up and became a tailor and ended up getting married. Oh, okay. However, the marriage was short-lived as his wife unexpectedly died in 1833. Oh, no. Now on his own as an adult, Manuel decided to have a total life change and go on the road. Huh. At first, he was a traveling salesman, and he traveled throughout Spain and Portugal. Then Manuel decided to become a guide and take people through the mountains of Castile, <laughs> Asturias, and Cantabria. Apologies to everyone in Cantabria. because I, fun. <laughs> I am butchering that. However, this second chapter, much like the first with his wife, was also short-lived. In 1844... Manuel was charged with the murder of Vincent Fernandez, who was the local constable. Okay. Apparently, the constable was trying to collect a debt from Manuel, and then all of a sudden, he was dead. (laughs) Okay. So, it's like, this is the last person the constable is supposed to see is Manuel. It was pretty a pretty easy puzzle to solve, right? Yeah. The heat was on, so Manuel went on the run. He made a fake passport using the name Antonio Gomez. Nice. That's a pretty solid name. Great name. Although Manuel was not arrested, the trial was still held and he was still found guilty. Okay. I'm assuming running what? with a fake passport probably didn't can make him look innocent. Can you even do that today? I don't know if you can do it today, but I've heard of cases where people are tried in absentia. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I think it depends on the jurisdiction. So... Uh, even though he wasn't there, Manuel was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Is it even that long? I mean, he murdered somebody. 10 yeah. years? Manuel lived as Antonio for years on the run. Okay. He made a living at first by doing odd jobs for women that he made friends with. I think women kind of liked him. He was kind of a, you know. Probably he, he seemed, didn't seem as intimidating. Exactly. In sta- exactly. Like size and stature and. Mm-hmm. You know, because he did live the beginning of his life presenting as a female. So maybe he had like a dual, like a... Like um, insight kind of. Like a Mm non-binary vibe, you know, like not masculine, not feminine, somewhere in between. And that is, could feel safe. You know what? That's actually a really good point. And I think you might be onto something. So the list of jobs that he, Manuel, did included making yarn, cleaning, doing crafts, and cooking, which at the time were not, quote unquote, typical male-associated jobs. Hmm, Okay. And because of that, the community just hated him. Like the women he worked for liked him, but the community didn't like him, and they considered him too effeminate. Oh my gosh, I was hoping you were going to say the community loved him (laughs) because he was the best crafter and the best cook. Do not, he's not the hero of the story. Okay, well, I'm not there yet. Okay. So at this point. Yes, it is, I think that it's awesome for people to be able to touch into all sides of their personality, obviously. Like, yeah. uh, you should be who you want to be, like, do what you want to do. Gender fluid. It, yeah, gender, like, gender norms, like, fuck all that shit. Do what you want to do. Be happy with yourself. Yeah. That's what I say. Yes. In this case, we are not on Manuel's side, okay? Okay, okay, okay. Okay. 
After this stint of odd jobs, Manuel, I guess, missed his adventures and returned to being a guide. That's when things took another bad turn. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so this, I just want to go on record. But it's before this, what you're about to tell me, that I kind of sympathize like with our mm-hmm. antagonist. Even though he's already murdered. With person. our villain. <laughs> but he didn't stand trial. Like, he didn't get to defend himself. Because oh, he ran. Okay. Maybe okay. he was scared. I don't know. Okay. Okay. So I guess up until now, you could like him because he maybe only killed one person. That's fine. Well, maybe. Or he was framed. He was framed. Was probably He was probably framed and then just did everything else after. Had a pure coincidence. <laughs> People close to Manuel began to disappear. Oh, goodness, Manuel. I was rooting for you. <sighs> I told her not to. <laughs> so there were numerous disappearances in yes. the town that Manuel was currently living in. Yes. People didn't notice right away because Manuel would write letters home from those he was leading <sighs> so that their family and friends would not suspect a thing. Oh, no. However, his greed got the best of him, as it usually does with these types of people, and Manuel was caught trying to sell the belongings of those missing people who had paid him to be their guide. I'm so disappointed. Despite this, there was still not definitive proof Manuel had committed these crimes. And then mutilated bodies were found. Some so mutilated that their own families could barely identify them. Suspicion grew in the small community where Manuel lived. And with suspicion came rumors. All eyes seemed to be on Manuel. Then the rumors became even darker. Someone in the city of Escalona accused Manuel of using the body fat of his victims in order to make soap, <gasps> which he would then sell to unsuspecting patrons. Oh, no. That's the worst. No. This very gruesome rumor ended up being true. Oh, Manuel. You're terrible. You're the worst. I tried to warn you. You did. In 1852, a formal accusation came out against Manuel. He was put on trial for 13 murders. Oh, my God. The victims' ages ranged from 10 to 47. Oh, my God. Okay, I was wrong. And this made Manuel Blanco Roma Santa Spain's first recorded serial killer. (gasps) So Manuel was put on trial in the middle of a terrible famine. People were mass migrating out of the area. People were losing their minds because of the horrible living situation they were all in. Mm -hmm. And then there was this violent, horrific crime happening. Mm -hmm. And it only gets worse from here. Oh, shit. Okay. And stranger. Okay. Maybe, Maybe stranger. And you're probably wondering at this point, isn't this a story about werewolves? Where are the fucking werewolves? Because I feel like this is just kind of like an old-timey version of Fight Club. I'm trying to do the math in my head right now, like the meme. Uh, You know, like... Uh, oh, the, the soap? soap. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, this is where the clinical lycanthropy comes in. Okay. I'm ready for it. According to Wicca Wicca Wikipedia... <laughs> Clinical lycanthropy is defined as a rare psychiatric syndrome that involves a delusion that the affected person can transform into, 
has transformed into or is an animal. It is associated with the mythical condition lycanthropy, a supernatural affliction in which humans are said to be to physically shapeshift into wolves. It is purported to be a rare disorder. Um, also, uh, people afflicted with clinical lycanthropy don't, it's not specific to human to wolf transformation. It, people that suffer from this might believe that they transform into another animal. Oh, okay. Like an eagle. But it's very horse. rare. Okay. You're making it very majestic. Uh, well, okay. I saw one that it was a chicken in my research. Really? Mm-hmm. Did they, yeah. Had they recently attended a hypnosis show? <gasps> GD it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's clinical lycanthropy in a nutshell. And during this his- historic trial, Manuel offered a very strange defense that shocked everyone. Manuel admitted that he murdered all 13 people that he was accused of. Oh. And maybe it's not surprising that their defense was that Manuel was insane. As I said, it was a very, very stressful time in Spain. People were starving. People were very unhappy. I guess it's a short leap to take as a defense. They could basically say, look around us. Everything's going to shit. This guy just. He lost it. He lost it. Things suck right now. Yeah. Can you blame him? But Manuel didn't just claim insanity. Okay. He told the court that he had been cursed. Oh. And had only committed the murders because he had turned into a wolf. (laughs) In his own words, the first time I transformed was in the mountains of Kauso. I came across two ferocious looking wolves. I suddenly fell to the ground and began to feel convulsions. I rolled over three times, and a few seconds later, I was a wolf. I was out marauding with the other two for five days until I returned to my own body, the one you see before you today, Your Honor. The other two wolves came with me, who I thought were also wolves, changed into human form. They were from Valencia. One was called Antonio and the other Don Gerano. They, too, were cursed. We attacked and ate a number of people because we were hungry. (laughs) That's from his trial. (laughs) However, the prosecution did not really believe the story. Shockingly. Mm -hmm. They asked Manuel to transform in front of the court right then and there to prove his claim. Listen, the first rule, rule of werewolves is you never ask a werewolf to transform on command. You everybody knows it is the full moon. I thought the first rule of werewolves was you don't talk about werewolves. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> oh, sorry. This story is very much like Fight Club. It's very Fight Club. Manuel told them that he could not do that because the curse only lasted 13 years. And wouldn't you know it, that his curse had expired the week before. Oh, my goodness. All right. I have changed my mind. You have changed my mind. The further this story has gone on, the less I like Manuel. He seems like a jerk. Was it the 13 murders that convinced you? (laughs) It was telling everyone he was a werewolf, but it had expired. His curse had expired by one week. (laughs) 
The prosecution also had doctors examine Manuel, and they claimed they could not find evidence of his mental illness, saying, quote, this was a quote from um, one of the doctors that testified. His inclination to vice is voluntary and not forced. The subject is not insane, dim-witted, or monomaniacal, nor were these conditions achieved while incarcerated. On the contrary, he instead turns out to be a pervert, an accomplished criminal, <laughs> capable of anything, cool and collected, and without goodness, but acts with free will, freedom, and knowledge. Mic drop. Yeah. Cool and collected. Jeez, that doctor. He won that one. Without proof of a transformation, the court did not believe Manuel's story. In 1853, Manuel was sentenced to death by the garrote, as well as um, he was told to pay 1,000 real for each of his victims. And the garrote, I looked it up. So they put a, gar- they put a choking device on a chair. Uh, and they would turn the handle <gasps> to, so that the, a strap would be around the person's neck in the chair. And then they would turn a handle and it would tighten the strap around their neck. And then later on, they added a bar behind the <gasps> neck so that as they turned the handle and the strap tightened, the neck would get snapped against that pointed bar. It was fucking brutal. Oh, my God. Okay. You, we just got a twofer. Two real life horrors. The garrote. And mm-hmm. lycanthropy. The pictures are bad. Ooh, shall we post them on our Instagram? Yeah, we'll post a picture. Okay. Because I, I looked it up because I was like, wait, a garage. That's just, I thought that was just like a rope with the, the It's the like a wire part. with the, yeah, the two handles but on they, the end. They turned it into an execution device. Oh my God. Day. People had just like. <sighs> no internet. That's what you do. <laughs> you just come up with like <laughs> insane ways to. You pretend you're a werewolf and you make up death chairs. So this historic trial lasted seven months and the transcripts totaled over 2,000 pages. Um, That's a lot for that time. Yeah. Somebody hand wrote all that shit. These pages were bound into five volumes, which are titled Lycanthropia and litigation based on a claim of lycanthropy has never since been repeated in the history of Spanish law. (gasps) After his conviction, a man named Mr. Phillips, who was a French hypnotist who was living in London, who had been following the, quote, werewolf of Alares, stepped in on Manuel's behalf. He contacted the Spanish Minister of Justice, claiming that Manuel was suffering from monomania that was known as lycanthropy. Mr. Phillips wanted to treat Manuel with hypnosis. Then the Spanish minister wrote to Queen Isabella II, and she personally commuted the death sentence in May of 1854 in order to let that doctor investigate the claim of clinical lycanthropy. Hmm. I don't know. It sounds like that doctor wanted to hypnotize a werewolf for his own purposes. I was looking at the Mr. Phillips thing because it was always like, quote unquote, Mr. Phillips. And Mm -hmm. I think that he was actually a um, psychologist that had gotten in some hot water for something and then was kind of like under another name situation. Um, after that, Manuel was transferred to a different prison. And his obviously after this huge trial and that all this shit happening, mm-hmm. this is like the, the case of the century. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. 
Um, after all of this became so well known, Manuel was attributed to rather ghoulish names for himself. He was known as the Werewolf of Alares and also the Tallow Man. Oh, that one is scary. The Tallow yeah. Man is scary. The Tallow Man. I think there is a horror movie. I feel like I I've seen so. it called The Tallow Ew. Man. That I creeps know. me out. Ew, I don't like that name. I, and maybe like we're um, tying it to something we've heard before that's yeah. scary. But I don't like The Tallow Man. Ew, no, that's scary. Uh-uh. That's no, no, so no, no, creepy. no, no. I know. And from my reading... It doesn't seem that Manuel ever underwent hypnosis with Dr. Phillips because just a few months after he was um, moved to the second prison, Manuel died. Stories of his death are conflicting, as these things often are. Mm -hmm. One story goes he was shot by a guard who wanted to see him transform. Others say it was he just died of some unknown illness. Hmm. A more basic story. Something that I keep coming back to in this story. During Manuel's trial, he was only found guilty of nine of the 13 murders. Oh. Those nine were found to be mutilated by human hands. Butchered. Mm -hmm. It was truly horrible. However, they acquitted Manuel of four of the murders. Because those deaths were found to be the result of wolf attacks. And that's my story. Oh my gosh, that was so good. Okay, I was that I was I was hanging on every word. It was such a journey that you took me and everybody on. I loved it. And was he really a werewolf? Ooh, no. Or was there a werewolf in the town? I think there were wolves in the town. This guy was a bad guy, though. Yeah, he was 100% a jerk. Yeah. A lot of the victims were kids. Oh, my terrible, God. Terrible, terrible. What the fuck? I know. Terrible. Um, okay, so I take back everything I said about him before I found out that he was an awful, awful person. Did you think I was doing a story of a nice werewolf? Y- yeah. <laughs> like man's best friend. I don't know what I thought. <laughs> like, I found this dog in the woods. I love him. He's my best friend. And then one day I woke up, and where he was sleeping on his dog bed was actually curled up in a ball, a man <laughs> with a really nice beard. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. But I just, I was sad for him because people were so mean to him. And then it turns out he was the worst. He's definitely worse than a horror movie werewolf. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think we need to, one of, excuse me, one of our favorite quotes is by one of our favorite podcast hosts at Marcus Parks from last podcast on the left. He has said time and time again, your mental illness is not your fault, but it is 100% your responsibility. I'm paraphrasing there, but it, it is so true. I actually... Um, you know, like when it comes to Richard Chase, I don't think Richard Chase did all the terrible things that he did because he was schizophrenic. He he was a terrible person Mm -hmm. who just happened to be schizophrenic and didn't get the treatment that he needed. 
so and that's why I picked the case that I did because it it was one of the ones that did not end as tragically as most of them do because he got help yes and everybody needs everybody needs a hand up yes some point in their life yeah and mental health is so important yeah in mine I think that this guy was trying to I don't know if he really believed it honestly it was such a long time ago and he didn't I I wish that there was information on um it, on, I wish she was hypnotized. I wish there was that information out there. I didn't see it anywhere. I tried to find it, but it's such an old case, you know. Yeah. So we just have this question mark, this mystery. So. I do know that some people do have, honestly do have these sorts of um, disorders. Mm-hmm. There's a case that's circulating right now. I didn't want to talk about it because it's not resolved I think it's going to trial right now Mm -hmm. and I think that he might have had this issue and it is truly truly horrible yeah and it's just like what a rare what a rare horrible thing the brain is just it's like so fragile and you know not only is it important to take care of your mental health but it's also important to have easy access to health care mental health care for a lot of people mental health care is not easily accessible and it is a shame it is a shame it's a damn shame it's not okay no at all well those were very scary situations true real life Mm -hmm. horrors and Mm -hmm. i think i'm gonna go calm myself down by watching horror movies so i'm not so scared and we just are kind of tiptoed in. Yeah. Probably get a little bit darker on later episodes. For sure. So if you, usually we try to stay away from the super dark stuff. We like to keep this, it is happy hour after all. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we try to keep this true crime, you know, paranormal, not make you want to like cry in the shower at, you know, nine o'clock at night because you're, you know, well, I still cry in the shower sometimes, but that's just my thing. Um, but I think for the spooky season, we're going to really step outside of our comfort zone or our normal topics and get into some really real life horror stuff. So if, if you're in the mood to get some, a little bit scared, keep listening to this block of episodes. Cause it's, it's going to be spooky for sure. And scary. hundred percent. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody out there. We appreciate you so much. We're so happy to be back. Yes, I second that. And don't forget to love yourself. Lock your doors. And light some sage. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Thank mm-hmm. you.